Hi everyone, my name is Marilyn Zakauer. I'm the CEO of Cosmic Centaurs and this is Center Stage. show where I invite incredible guests to come explore bold ideas about the future of work and learning with me. For this very first episode, you'll hear me talk to Yulia Estrate. She's an industrial and organizational psychologist. She's been developing talent solution for more than 18 years. She's also the host of The Skills for Mars, a video podcast series dedicated to the evolution of work. When Yulia and I spoke, we dove into a topic that I spend a lot of time thinking about work culture. I wanted to talk to Yulia about what she thought about corporate culture today. With more and more companies going into remote work, I often ask myself the question, is corporate culture dead? We structured our conversation according to a Harvard Business Review article called The Culture Factor. This article tells us that culture can be identified using four common attributes. Culture needs to be shared, it needs to be enduring, it needs to be pervasive, and it needs to be implicit. Yulia and I kind of went point by point through this article and we explored questions like, is culture set in stone? Is it unchangeable? And should it be? Where does culture start? Do leaders that have been remote their entire career tend to foster diversity and cultural understanding more than those that haven't? Is culture a silent shared language or is it something you have to explicitly communicate? I walked away from my conversation with Yulia looking at culture as something that's fluid, diverse, ever-changing. I guess the key takeaway here is that companies in remote settings shouldn't try to have an enduring culture in the way that traditional organizations have had, but perhaps rather than trying to unify their culture, they should explore what remote offers them. And that's people coming from different parts of the world with their own experiences and their own cultures and their own values. And maybe remote work is an opportunity to explore a new kind of culture where diversity is celebrated and varying cultures are accepted as they are. Here's our conversation. Yulia, we're so grateful to have you. Hi, Marilyn. I'm very, very grateful to be here. It's really fun doing this with you. So today, we will be debating how culture can be developed and maintained in distributed or remote settings. And you know me, I like myself a little framework. So we prepared four motions to structure the discussion. The way we're going to do this is I will read out a description of each motion. Yulia will decide whether she agrees with what I'm saying or disagrees. So give me a thumbs down uh, and she will present her point of view. Now, here's the tricky part. I will always have to disagree with her no matter what I actually think. We're hoping that things get, you know, a little exciting and we have some heated counter arguments. Otherwise, it's not show business, you know. The debate is structured along the lines of a 2018 Harvard Business Review article called Culture Factor, uh, which identified four common attributes of culture. The fact that it is shared, that it's enduring, that it's pervasive and that it's implicit. Noting that unlike strategy, which is set at the executive level, culture blends the direction of leaders with the knowledge and experience of frontline employees. Yulia, are you ready? Yes. All right. So I'm going to read out the first motion. The first motion is about culture being implicit. I claim the formulation and communication of culture acts as a kind of silent language. It's all in the implicit and tacit knowledge, and therefore communicating corporate culture requires people to be co-located. Do you agree or disagree? Yeah, I think I disagree on this one. I'm making your life hard. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think culture is implicit and tacit when it really becomes engraved in the company. But before that, 
it's kind of yeah, that's why you communicate culture right at that point it is not implicit and, and tacit at that point is really explicit but i think that communicating culture overall just simply requires having a message finding a simple way to distribute it and i think the most important and the most critical is having someone listen to it collocated and remotely as well because employees not only need to understand the message but also need to connect to it emotionally some communication can't simply come from the top down it doesn't just work so i think collocated or not it works in the same way you still need to find a message that really connects with your employees and then the moment it connects and the moment uh, the leadership can walk the talk and they can prove it in values and behaviors that's when it becomes implicit and tacit knowledge and culture i'm going to have to disagree with you of course yuria um i think there are some things that you can definitely try and reproduce remotely in the last few weeks and months we've all been talking about how to improve internal comms and how to create rituals and so there's a lot of things that you can kind of compensate for remotely but there's a couple of points that i think make culture implicit that i don't know how you would replace those with technology just yet the first one is the place and by place i mean both the city where you work but also the building and the office and the way that it's laid out and all of the implicit cues like i always take this example you know if you were working for the new york times that emotion of like going into that glass building in new york for the first time taking the elevator to the right floor and seeing the printing press there's no way you can substitute that so i think there are some parts of culture that are just embodied in the sense that your body needs to be physically somewhere and what you detect isn't like the values that are written on the wall but just the sense of like how people behave and carry themselves how they get dressed you know like how they talk how they begin and end a meeting which i don't know how we would do that remotely outside of making everything explicit but a big chunk of culture isn't explicit and even if we tried we wouldn't be able to do that and the other aspect of culture i think is in that sort of behavioral aspect of the stories but also how you start that culture like i just started a company right i've been in big companies and small ones there's a lot of who we are going to be as a company that comes from our current interactions right and the way that we treat each other the other day so tala and i work from the same place twice a week and a friend of mine was uh, over at our house we work from our houses we don't have an office and she was watching us cook together and she looked at us and she said this is so amazing it's so hard for two people to cook together and you guys have kind of figured out how to delegate tasks and organize yourselves and come together and do individual work and then collaborate and there's something in that activity that i just don't know that we would have been able to sort of naturally do online if we hadn't had the chance to do it this way so i don't know any counter arguments before motion 2 <laughs> I do think it depends and it depends if the company is at the start of a journey or it's already a mature company for sure starting up a company definitely it's easier to be collocated or to meet more often it's way harder of course to split responsibilities and to understand each other see the gestures and the mimic remotely for sure and technology i'm not even sure that it will ever be there we are social beings and we like being with each other but with effort and focus and a bit of dedication to really making sure 
that whatever is explicit or implicit that can be seen in a collocated setting is made somehow available in a remote setting, I think it would work. And it already works if we think about it. It works in uh, distributed companies, right? Which can have offices on their own, but they are distributed and the employees do not uh, see each other. Take Ni Nike, for example, right? With the Just Do It slogan. They have the same action orientation everywhere, whether it's uh, Dubai or Amsterdam or uh, somewhere in New York, right? And that's the implicit culture that you feel. It hurts them as well, but that's another discussion. All right. Well, it's a good thing we're not scoring these. I don't know who would win. Onwards to uh, <laughs> motion number two. Culture is pervasive. And on this one, we kind of wanted to discuss two topics. I'm going to read them out loud. Culture is pervasive, extending from the highest levels of leadership to the support staff and interns. And so we have two motions that we'd like to debate. The first one is onboarding is the first immersive step into a company's culture and can only be successful in co-located settings. Thoughts on that? So first, I think that onboarding is not the first immersive step into a company's culture. I think it starts with recruitment because immediately see who you're dealing with and you see that online and offline, of course, if, if you can do recruitment uh, offline and you can meet face-to-face. -face. And I wouldn't say only be successful in co-located settings. I think this is where I'm not thumbs up or down, but I'm somewhere in the middle. It is definitely harder to do onboarding remote. I have had to do it as well. And it's hard when you have never worked remotely. People that are joining you don't know how that feels like, and they don't see exactly what you said, the building, the other people, how they, how they dress, do they smile to each other? Where do they have coffee? Do they wave at me when I say, when I say hello? All of these things that make you just feel welcome, right? You have to replicate that remotely. It's not impossible, but it's hard to do. And I think it's extremely difficult. It becomes even more difficult if you're not checking if the new employees is aligned with your values. At that point, it can really turn into a culture of us versus them. Me, the new joiner versus everyone which is, which is there. Me, the new joiner who cannot speak up because I don't know who my colleagues are. So I think a lot of focus needs to be put in collocated settings. And I would say it's definitely way harder onboarding in um, remote versus collocated settings. All right. So I have to disagree with your very balanced point of view, <laughs> which is hard. You're making this hard. Um, I always joke that... Um, Getting hired and uh, and getting onboarded is like, you know, swiping on Tinder and going on your first date. And there's only so much that you can do on the app. You know, there's only so much relationship that you can build by chatting with someone online. Uh, and so it becomes incredibly difficult to really decide whether you're into them or not. And I think given that the first phase of a work is that probation period where both the company and the employee are kind of assessing each other, it's really like dating. And I think that there's a moment where you have to go and, and feel the company and see people around each other. But if I did want to bring some balance to join you in the middle, I definitely think that HR professionals, but also managers, I really don't think onboarding or even interviewing is just an HR problem. In fact, quite the opposite. I think they can do a lot in terms of trying to make as much as possible explicit and then really designing a journey where people can experience as many things as possible in their first few weeks to help them connect with the organization and truly understand where they stand on that. All right, second half of this motion, culture is pervasive and leaders that have been co-located their entire career will not naturally foster diversity and cultural understanding. Those leaders can only build a sense of cultural awareness in their leadership ranks when they're co-located. That transition from being a leader who does this with your body in person to now having to be a leader who does this online. Do you think that leaders who have done this in person 
all their lives will not know how to lead in this new environment. This is a subject that maybe I mentioned that is uh, something I'm thinking about right now. And the answer is shortly, I think it's no, but I think again that a lot of focus has to be put on this in the sense that if we allow remote leaders to live anywhere and they choose to live in a place which is financially okay for them, but it's not necessarily, I don't know, uh, maybe it's in the backyard of, uh, of the mother's house or uh, in a van somewhere in uh, Mexico or wherever. When the moment comes that they need to transition into a role where they actually need to manage people from diverse cultures, they will have an issue. So research says, and uh, if anyone wants to go and check uh, Sujin Yang's from INSEAD uh, work, it's very relevant. She talks about cultural brokerage and researchers usually believe that it takes three to five years to immerse into a culture to really understand it. I kind of agree with that. Having moved already in three different cultures, even if I know how to do it quicker, it still takes that amount of time to understand how people joke, uh, how they would use language, it takes time and, and interaction. So I think just traveling for fun and vacation doesn't really help to understand cultures. So at some point, companies that are working remote and will require leaders to lead teams that are diverse culturally, they need to provide that experience. Now, whether they will work from anywhere, but they live in, uh, I don't know, Singapore, because the company's headquartered there and you have all the Asian nationalities, it's a different topic. But getting them immersed into the culture or in any culture is very important. What research says is that getting immersed in one culture, so me, for example, living in France, will help me understand even an American culture way easier because I will know that there are different points of view. Right? And I will know that I need to bridge a gap. So maybe I will ask more questions. I will be more sensitive to what they say, even if I don't yet understand the culture. But cultural knowledge, cultural immersion, cultural diversity in the experience of a leader is extremely important so they can manage and foster diversity in their own teams. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't possibly disagree with you on that. Uh, even if I tried, I'd be lying. Even before remote was a topic, uh, distributed settings or multinationals were faced with the same issue. And I think on the topic of the ability of somebody to appropriate culture or to understand it, so there's a professor in INSEAD called uh, Jose Santos, and he writes about what he calls flying fish and uh, dolphins. So he says that people who've sort of grown up and spent their formative years in the same place and now manage in that place, those are mammals, you know, they're cats. They're dogs. They're on the land. That's all they understand. They actually don't know that there's water and they don't know what the water is like. Then he says people who've managed outside of their home country, he calls those the flying fish in the sense that they are able to understand that there is a different culture and to understand the distance between those things and how to adapt to them because they've had to manage elsewhere. And so they've been kind of faced with that brutal experience of actually not getting a culture. And then he talks about people who have grown up or had some of their formative years outside of their home country and managed yet again somewhere else. And he calls those people dolphins. I hope I didn't mess this one up. Joe will kill me if I did. But essentially, the dolphins are actually mammals, but they're in the water. And so they're kind of like endemic, so to speak, to both environments. They are comfortable in a home country and they're comfortable in not home country. And they're able to constantly kind of measure that distance and adapt to both and really bridge those cultural differences. I think on the topic of culture, yeah, that kind of covers it. But I also think, you know, in the same way that the Americans kind of have done this cultural colonialism by shoving all this content down our throats. I mean, we're all American, even though we've never set a foot there. So I think there could be more effort put into sharing the right material 
uh, including from like pop culture to new joiners in different cultures to help them adapt. I'm going to move us on to motion number three. So culture is shared. The office is the commons, a resource shared by the community. It makes individuals cognizant, even if implicitly, of how their actions affect the wider group. This kind of alignment for collective goals cannot be achieved in distributed settings where all resources, meaning Zoom calls, emails, etc., are abundant. Uh, what do you think about that? I wanted to ask what all resources means because I said, oh, are there all resources abundant? They're not abundant, not in remote, not in collocated settings. No, in collocated settings, if you're taking the last Nespresso in the office, you have to think that you're taking it away from somebody else. But in, in this kind of environment, setting up one more Zoom call, there's no sense that you're taking it away from somebody else. That it's completely true. I think that in the office, for sure, you can see things a bit more clearly. You can just look up someone's window and understand that they are busy. And at that point, you are not going to send that uh, that meeting invite or not, you're not going to punch in and in, into the meeting, right? But culture overall is shared, right? That's the whole definition. If it's not shared, then it's not culture. Then it's uh, some uh, perception in your own head and uh, a way that you behave uh, personally and individually. But culture in itself, I cannot disagree with the statement that it is shared. And even remote culture is shared. I don't think we are there yet to really understand if there is such a thing as a remote culture, because this whole experiment started this year. So we will see maybe in two, three years time, if there is such a thing as a remote culture, or actually it is not. It's just culture that is shared, communicated, and then it becomes implicit in a different way. If it's not shared, it cannot be culture. So remote or not, culture can only be shared. It's, I think it's, it's, it's in the definition. Yes, that's very true. I often think about, and I, I did write a, an op-ed about this a couple of months ago, about the fact that in remote settings, you know, we often say that we go from seeing the face to seeing the work. We go from evaluating somebody's contribution to an organization through seeing them come to work and produce work to seeing the actual output that they provide. And something that I fear is that in a remote culture where you're just measuring the output of people, culture becomes obsolete and is replaced by control and integration. And in fact- But culture, isn't that culture as well? It could be, yes, absolutely. You could say that that is a form of culture. I just wonder if that'll be a unifying culture for all companies that are more remote or not. Oh, for sure. I'm not sure this is a good culture or exactly how you, how you said the unifying culture, but uh, for sure that can become a culture. So I'm going to move us on to our last motion of the day. Culture is enduring. Organizations that prioritize culture are more resilient and agile, both in times of crises and in good times. This type of enduring culture can only be realized when teams are co-located. Here again, I will have a different kind of question. Do we really want culture to be in co-located or not because I think that if it is too much enduring it can actually lead to stagnation and for sure you don't want what what you just call the non-unified culture a bad culture to be enduring but even a culture that is focused solely on efficiency can be damaging on the long run I just mentioned Nike and their slogan just do it this led them to a culture of extreme action to the expense of teamwork and to the expense of caring for one another and this hurt them internally. So internally, they changed it to just do it together because it was so strong. I think cultures can be enduring, no matter if co-located or not, but I'm not really sure up to what point you want them to be enduring because <laughs> then you do want to change them at some point from more agile or maybe you want to be more efficiency driven. It really depends. Yeah, I think that's a very interesting point. And it's a point about 
whether the way that you perceive culture is about values or is it about the way we do things. And I think they're often kind of together because you express your values by doing things a certain way. I think the part that I believe should be enduring is your values. They're the basis of the why the company exists. But I definitely agree that the part that can and probably should change, and that's the only way that companies survive, is by adapting to what the environment and the constraints look like and how one must behave in this setting. I think I agree with Darren Murph, the way they're running GitLab. So they're purpose-driven first, but then they definitely look at the values. And one of the values is really accepting different cultures because when you work in a remote-first or distributed uh, setting, you cannot really unify cultures because you're dealing with different cultures. So having values that actually allow you to learn from different cultures and accept different cultures is way more powerful than aligning cultures. Yeah, I agree. Aligning cultures is actually, I'm sorry for lack of a better word, Nazi. Like, <laughs> what's the point, right? If the idea isn't to let everybody bring in their diversity and their points of view and to contribute back into the pot, then don't hire people from a different culture if you're going to then stifle them. Definitely online on that one. All right. So I have one last question that we ask Every um, person we ever bring on a live show with us. I want you to complete the sentence with one word and then explain it. So, Yulia, please complete the following sentence. The future of work is... Dot, dot, dot. I think that the future of work should be and is about experimenting. We've never been through this, but it should also be about thinking how we add value and how we can aim to be really, truly better every day. That's brilliant. That's I'm going to read that an audience comment that really aligns with what you just said. Maybe you can comment on it. I worked for a company where we always used to say change is in our lifeblood. What is a good balance between stability and agility when it comes to culture? If you listen to the researchers, actually having change in the blood is extremely powerful. I was just reading uh, Panish Puranam's uh, post on change for change's sake. Actually, they advise to just have little experiments of change just to have them and to get that in the blood because... Stability, you want to reach that at that point, but you also want to be ready to split away from stability when the time comes. And not exercising that muscle of change will hurt. Exercising in an experimenting kind of way to see what happens, to understand how you should react and why, I think that's actually good. I wouldn't have it as the only mantra in the company, but change for change's sake apparently is something that builds resilience in organizations. There you have it. My conversation with industrial-slash-organizational psychologist Yulia Istrate. We talked about the effects of remote work on corporate culture. In a nutshell, Yulia's message to leaders working remotely is experiment. See what works for your team. We've never been through a pandemic before, at least not while we were alive. A lot of you have never worked remotely at this scale before. Try different things. Remember your values. Think about how you can make your team work better, together, happier. My name is Marilyn Zakauer, and you are listening to Center Stage, the podcast, a show where we explore bold ideas about the future of work and learning. Please make sure you hit the subscribe button wherever you listen to your podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or anywhere else, really. Also, make sure to follow our company, Cosmic Centaurs, where my amazing team and I share content, frameworks, and articles to support you in leading your team in the new world of work. You can find us on CosmicCentors.com. That's C-O-S-M-I-C 
C-E-N-T-A-U-R-S.com. And if you want to find out why we're called Cosmic Centers, you're going to have to go on our about page. You can also find us on all social channels, including LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram on at Cosmic Centers. I look forward to seeing you all on our next episode where I talk to Ziad Rahal, the head of LinkedIn Marketing Solutions in MENA, and we talk about how to create value beyond conversion. See you then.